Welcome to Mosaics, a podcast featuring the vibrant and diverse stories of refugee resettlement in Idaho. I'm your host, Holly Beach, with the Idaho Office for Refugees. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by three wonderful partners of the Idaho Office for Refugees. I'm here with Nick and Laura Armstrong from Global Community Partners in Boise and Reshma Kamal of the Islamic Center of Boise and the International Rescue Committee. So they get to hear from me all the time. And today we're here to have a conversation about a workshop that they lead. It's called From Hostility to Hospitality. So welcome, everyone. Thank you for coming to share today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So first, Reshma, I'd like to start with you. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you do here in Boise? Sure. So a little bit about my birthplace. I was born in India in the state of Bihar, and it's known for two important things. First, it's home to one of the oldest universities. It's called the Nalanda University 427 CE that we're looking at. You can say it was an Ivy League institution in the medieval India. And second is the birthplace of Jainism and Buddhism that spread all over the world. So two remarkable things. Makes sense. You're such a quality person since you <laughs> came sure. from a special place. Thank you. And what work do you do here in Boise now? I work uh, in an honorary position as the outreach uh, director at the Islamic Center of Boise. I also work as a community advisor at IRC. And I think both work complement each other. And I work very closely with Glocal. <laughs> they are my best friendship community partners. Mm. That's great. Laura Armstrong, tell us about yourself, your background, and what you do here in Boise. So Nick and I kind of always go together, I guess. <laughs> we lived overseas in Indonesia for 23 years. And so when we came back to Boise, after that many years overseas, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do. And funny enough, our daughter was a student at Boise State at the time, and she had started connecting with people who'd come as refugees. And she was the one that planted the seed, and that kind of then birthed Glocal in 2014. And so Glocal seeks to mobilize, train, and connect people in the Treasure Valley with people who've come as refugees. And that's really the heart of what Glocal is, and that's what we've been doing these years and how we're connected with both IOR and the beautiful Reshma and the friendship that has started there and getting to partner with her has been really wonderful. Thank you. And Nick, tell us a bit about yourself and what you enjoy about the work that you do here. Yeah, just a little bit of background. The work that I did in Indonesia was relief and development work. I did a lot of community development related stuff. In the later years, the last 15 years, there in Indonesia, I really kind of focused on disaster response and did training in that regard, as well as was involved with over 30 different disasters over the time that I was there in Indonesia. And probably the most, you know, marked disaster that I was involved in was the tsunami there in Aceh in northern Sumatra. So, in yeah, 2000. 2004 was when it hit. And then, yeah, I was there for four years back and forth from Java to Sumatra. Wow. We like to say, though, that he did not cause the disasters, mm. even though he's working with a lot of them. <laughs> well, we seem to be still safe here in Boise, even yeah. though you're back. So true, I'll, true. I'll believe it. <laughs> so, well, thank you all for being here. As I mentioned at our Idaho Conference on Refugees this year, you led that workshop from hostility to hospitality. 
And Nick, could you just give us a brief overview of the heart of this workshop? Yeah, you know, like the title, Going from Hostility to Hospitality, it implies that we do live at a time of social and political polarization. And so, you know, we really wanted to kind of talk about hospitality and being a welcoming community within the broader framework of, you know, somewhat akin to Martin Luther King's beloved community and the idea where we have this kind of common commitment of to nonviolence, justice, equality that's for everyone and not just for, you know, a few segments of society. And so the idea was that, you know, to realize, first of all, that we do live in this kind of polarized context and to really look at that within regard to an overall struggle that our country has been in from its inception. You know, the idea that we've tried to expand the we in the Constitution, you know, from the time of slavery and, you know, the exclusion of indigenous peoples and the exclusion of women, as well as even, you know, non-land-owning white men as well, you know. So, I mean, we've been started out very much as a country that's been trying to expand that we, and so we see this kind of idea of hospitality within the broader context of expanding the we and, and you know, bringing it to the personal level of trying to expand our own circle of hospitality. And so that's, that's really kind of the essence of it is, is, you know, the nature of that hostility and then how is it that we move towards becoming a more welcoming and, and hospitable community. Expand the we. That is a really <laughs> good phrase. Mm. Can I steal that for a bumper sticker? <laughs> really good. Yeah. I love that idea. And you see it happening and then you see it retracting. Even here in Idaho, we see who's in, who's out. And you see it you push for more inclusivity, and then you see the fallout of that, and it just feels like this constant. Yes. Yeah, this this fight, yeah. kind of. Yeah. And so I'm really glad that we're talking about it because we need to and yeah. and know that we're in it together. Rachel, I'd love to hear from you about what hospitality means to you. So just to give you a background of these workshops, Local and ICB have been doing this workshop for the last several years together. And I think anytime you want to set an example, you want to bring a change within the community, you need to build a prototype with community partners. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have done together. We built a prototype, said that, I would say, very humbly as well as proudly of the many partnerships that we have worked together. And this workshop is a small reflection of that community work that we do together. My journey here is that of an immigrant. We work together, on many newly arrived, many refugee communities together. And there are variations in the experience that we go through, but those experiences are not easy to overcome. Those are the barriers that we face. It's like we come here as strangers, and, and you look at one of the words that, that's there. I, in fact, I was reading yesterday, in Matthew, where, you know, it said that, you know, who are you going to welcome? And there's a, you know, that comes, the saying that comes in is, anyone you welcome is not a stranger, but you are welcoming a reflection of your own creation. Mm -hmm. And so that what this workshop is all about, 
and how, for myself being, how was I welcome? I lived in three states here, in Wisconsin, New Jersey, and in Idaho. And I can proudly and truly claim that this has felt very close to home. And in that process of being new in a country, what moments of hospitality did you experience? And on the flip side, did you experience moments of hostility as well? Yeah, I will expose a very wonderful moment of our lives when we were initial here in the first year. And my husband came here as a postdoc at the University of Wisconsin. And his grant was supposed to be renewed. And somehow we got to know that it might not be renewed and we would lose medical insurance. And I was expecting my first daughter at the time. My husband's professor and his wife, they stepped in and he said that he will forgo his summer salary to cover the medical insurance till he gets a job. That is a welcome that you don't even get from your relatives. Mm. So that's that's the you know picture that you're looking at when you welcome someone you don't know, but you're welcoming with a heart that that is really human. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's beautiful, Laura. What for you does this workshop mean at the heart of it? I think for me, it's just really that idea that we are part of breaking down barriers and that extending hospitality is partly just connecting people and helping them to meet people who they've maybe been afraid of or don't know anything about or have heard things and, yeah, have a negative idea of what that person, who that person is. And so that idea of going from hostility to hospitality, I think it's that idea that, yeah, just helping people to encounter people and seeing who they are, seeing that heart, seeing who they were created to be. I I think of our background, a lot of our work started kind of helping people to understand people from the Islamic religion because after 9-11, there was so much pushback and so much Fear. fear placed. And for us, living in Indonesia, which is one of the greatest populations, I always get that wrong, of Muslims in the world, our neighbors were Muslim, the people we worked with were Muslim, the shopkeepers were, we didn't, I didn't have that fear. I, you know, I came back to the States and was kind of surprised when I would meet somebody and it's like, oh, you know, I don't know that I've never met a Muslim before. (laughs) I was like, okay, they're just like us, you know, (laughs) they're people. And so that's where that kind of the relationship with the Islamic Center, with Reshma and many other people, began with that let's let's get together let's break down some of those barriers and get dialogue and so we've had what are called peace feasts where we've joined with maybe 10 people who are from a different religion and 10 people from the mosque and just breaking down and it was always amazing to me to just watch these interactions and see these moms talking about oh yeah I have a teenage daughter and this is what I'm going through <laughs> oh me too you know it's such a struggle how do you do that or you know whatever the subject was there was connection and it was like oh we're all people we're all on this path we're all working through these hard things of life in similar ways, trying to figure out what it means for our faith or our social structure or whatever, but we're all on that path together. And so that idea of hospitality and why we do this workshop is really just setting the table 
for opportunities. I think what Rishma was yeah. sharing, just opportunities to gather people together that maybe wouldn't naturally come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just one yeah. quick story about that. You know, it's somewhat uh, countercultural in the sense that, you know, to bring uh, people of different faiths together, to being people who have different backgrounds and uh, one particular peace feast that we had at a restaurant, uh, and we, we tried to actually, you know, reserve the restaurant for our discussion because there were over 20 of us, I think. And so I, we were learning from each other. In particular, I think we were trying to learn the deeper aspects of Ramadan and that sort of a thing. And at the end of the meal, which, you know, there's over 20 of us, so it's fairly expensive. And so I went up to pay. And at the end of that, the, the owner said, well, it's already been paid. And I said, well, who's paid for that? And he said, well, that guy that's walking out the door. And so I ran and I, 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 I caught up with him and I said, you paid for our meal? And he said, yeah. I said, why'd you do that? And he said, I was just so you know, impressed by the fact that you were having a conversation like this and you could do it in a way that was respectful. And you know, it was just, for him, it was inspiring. And so here's this Muslim man that you know, saw what was going on and he was really just so impressed that he paid for the entire meal. So it was wow. over our, like $500. So for, That everybody yeah, was, was going to pitch in and pay for. I want you yeah. to know that we were paying for the meal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, with Ramadan, I'll give you a very, you know, good example of how, you know, you bring people together is this Ramadan for this year, Glocal and ICB worked together on a grant with Islamic Relief USA. I would say they did all the work. <laughs> they did all the hard work. No, no, Sounds no. like Nick and Laura. And so we got the grant by which we were able to get grocery gift cards. And Rajma, can you explain what Ramadan is briefly, just in case anyone's not familiar? Sure. So Ramadan is the holiest month for the Muslims. Uh, we fast for 30 days during this month. This is also the month where the holy book was revealed. And we look at this month not just to ask for forgiveness, but guidance and mercy, and a big part of it is charity. So during this Ramadan, we worked together, we got the grant, and Nick and Laura got all the cards ready. All I had to do was assemble the names of people who would be eligible for these help. And one fine morning we met and they handed the card to us, and this was given out to the ICB community members. And that is an example that we set it out and saying how we can work across faith across race, across cultures, to help out. Mm, that's um, really cool. And I'm really proud of those projects uh, yeah. that we have we did this year, and we'll continue to do many years to come. Yeah, it's interesting to hear from people who maybe this is their first Ramadan away from their home and how it's just not as known here or celebrated or like on the societal level. Right. You know, no one's taking work off, and you're not having these big gatherings because at night, when the sun goes down, you get to break your fast and eat together, and that's very special. And so that probably brought them a sense of home to know that it's people cared, and it's still that you recognize that special. It time. did. In fact, one of the so every time I went to a family, I explained to them the process of how this made this. You know, getting grocery gift cards for all these families, and they were amazed. They were surprised. They were like, "Oh, so they were not Muslims who worked for this." And like, why are they giving us? And one of the family of six said that this is a this might be just a two hundred dollar grocery card for you, but for us it's 
the value is in million dollars because it has come at the right time. A lot of the families first Ramadan here, and that made it possible for them to have a good Eid, mm-hmm. which is we celebrate after 30 days of Ramadan wow. and fasting. Wow, that's really special. Yeah, it is. I know in the workshop you talk about some of the obstacles to hospitality, and I think one of them we've already talked about is there's just not a lot of opportunities maybe to encounter people who are different. And so that unknownness can lead to fear. But what other obstacles do you share about? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at the cause for the polarization that's taken place on a social and political level, especially, you know, one of the things that Dr. Peter Coleman, he's written a book called The Way Out, How to Overcome Toxic Polarization. He talks about the idea of, you know, one is that we are hardwired in a sense to you know, polarize ourselves in the in terms of tribes. You know, we go into a comfortable arena of people that we know, and that becomes kind of our, our tribe. And, and that's, you know, he, he talks in terms of, you know, evolutionary terms of a sort of threat stimuli that caused that, but it's exasperated by now we have an internet where the algorithms cause us to, you know, go into echo chambers and, and to deepen ourselves into our, our tribal tendencies as well as news media in terms of, you know, triggers towards rage as well as the way in which it commands our attention and that sort of a thing, our attention really to the things of our tribe. And so, you know, that as well as the political system, gerrymandering as well as redlining and all of those sorts of things kind of contribute to that overall polarization. And then I, I think it's just, you know, one one thing is just to recognize that we are almost at an unprecedented time of polarization. I mean, if you look at, you know, some of the stats, there was a, a Pew Research study that was done that talked about, you know, the sort of unfavorable impression of the unfavorable view that you had of the other political party. And so the percentage of Republicans who had an unfavorable view of Democrats was 21% in 1994. Well, today it's uh, 62% and a very similar sort of statistic with regard to Democrats' view of Republicans. And so, you know, that that's created in some ways the evidence has shown that, that there's been a big sort, that people are moving to neighborhoods of their own political party where they're gathering together. And so it's only reinforcing that as well as even wanting their own children to make sure that they marry into political parties of the same order. So, you know, that that sort of political polarization is only getting worse. And so, you know, I think that those are the kinds of things that have contributed to that. Do you see any ways that people can organically in their own lives start to break down some of those barriers? Maybe, Laura, we'll start with you. I think the thing that I always think of is, okay, so naturally, if I'm in a group of people, I want to go to the people I know, and that's who's going to be my more natural. And so I have to really consciously think about, okay, I can go and introduce myself to somebody new, whether it's, you know, in whatever kind of gathering you're at, if it's at a party or at a church or even the mosque or, I don't know, wherever it is, naturally, I want to go to people I think that are the same as me. But I I think one of those conscious decisions, if we can make and take that first step, that's an organic way of saying, okay, I'm going to break a barrier right now. I'm going to meet somebody new. 
And it's not easy. Like I know Nick always cracks up because I'm the type of person that talks to the cash register person, you know, whatever we're checking out. I'm like, hi, how was your day? And Nick's like, I just want to pay for the groceries and get out. Um, <laughs> Self-checkout. I'm with you. Nick. Oh, thank you. Self-checkout. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad really I'm not good. alone. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, it's not something that it's now more of a habit for me. But I do think if we can be more open to meeting new people. I think there's such richness in that. And I think that's one of the things I've found um, in this work is just getting to meet people from all over the world and just how rich that is. So I don't know if Reshma or anybody, Nick have some other ideas of. And you know, when we look at changes, I think you have to look at a global picture change, not just, you know, in welcoming people who are different from us, but changes, you know, within our day-to-day lives, within our own cities. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an article I was reading yesterday in the state of Montana where during COVID, people who were who could afford, they went and bought, you know, properties in Montana. Mm-hmm. The people who live there, who have been living there for generations, they felt that strangers are coming there and rich people are coming in and taking over the, the property that they're supposed to just go and enjoy. That's, you know, within a state example. Could have, you could have written that same article in Idaho. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Idaho, and Idaho is, you know, unique in that sense. And I'm saying in a positive sense that it is one of the so-called whiter states here. Um, I can go off in the street and be anything other than Indian. <laughs> People have called me hola or tried to speak to me in <laughs> Spanish and I'm lost. So that is a challenge for sure. But then that's also a space where you can make that ground, connect with community leaders mm-hmm. at the grassroots level. For example, you know, every Friday we go to, as Muslims, we go to a faith house on a Friday prayer. How many of us would like to go on a Sunday and visit a church or vice versa? Visiting a faith house or, you know, visiting people doesn't make us lose our ground. I think a lot of the times people are scared that if I'm going to speak for you, I'm going to lose my ground or what, what benefits me. That is something that people have to overcome. I think it makes us stronger when we speak for others. Because there might come a time, as it is said, that if I don't speak today, someone is not going to speak for me or for my children. Mm-hmm. And everyone has made this country unique. Mm-hmm. I might be first generation here. But then there are people who came much earlier here, and they were also new. Their mm-hmm. forefathers were new here. So that's a story we need to look at it and overcome that fear. Yeah, I do think that's forgotten. Of You look at most of us, and you don't have to go very far back until you find an immigrant. And I don't feel like we treat immigrants with the respect, especially depending on the status of their papers. It's like, these are the people growing the food that you eat that keeps you alive. So let's have so some respect for each other and what we contribute and not view it as us doing someone a favor. I always think, like, welcome is not us doing someone a favor because it's a much stronger state for all of us if it has that respect for shared humanity and so that's the kind of place I want to live True. and so it's not me doing anyone else a favor. And it is fascinating to read the stories of immigrants and refugees who come here and how they came here. Some of them came here they just at that time they were you know there was there wasn't that strict a law so people just came in they were illegal here for so many years and then we had laws that integrated in you know into this country and so it's interesting to, you know, read those stories and, and look at today what we are going through and learn from them. 
I mean, throughout history, we have seen, you know, every other race being put on the guard uh, for who they were, mm-hmm. you know. And I think this is not something new. You just have to read and understand. Yeah, and we were talking earlier about how even during World War II, America turned away boats with Jewish refugees seeking refuge. And, you know, that's unfathomable now, but in different contexts, we're still doing that. True. I think the other thing which, you know, I was born in India. I was brought up there. I did my, my school and college there. A lot of the times people think that we come here because we want to. People forget that the bringing in of refugees and immigrants are factors beyond our control. It all depends where the war happens mm-hmm. globally. We had the recent one in Afghanistan. A few years back, we had in Sudan and Somalia and many other places. And so the reason is not because we want to leave home. I think nobody would like to leave their home if there's peace. And so they have factors beyond our control. And when we come here, we bring our home with us mm-hmm. in the food that we eat and in the clothes that we wear, the way we speak. And we, we want to make, you know, this place our home with a lot of the things that we bring together, with our own uniqueness. Uh, and that is a lot of the times a struggle for people not to open up because they fear that they're going to lose those values that they come with. And... People like Nick and Laura, that's what they do. They welcome these people, bring them to the table, and help them integrate into our community. Nick, you were talking about the threat. Uh, we have a sense of you know, protectionism. Mm-hmm. And do you know of any ways that are helpful to help yourself let go of that sense of threat when there's really not a threat? Yeah, I think one of the things that I, uh, a book that I had read um, by uh, Dr. Richard Beck, um, he talks about, this idea of the circle of hospitality and expanding that circle. And one of the, the first things that he talks about is this idea that when we encounter another human being, that the first thing that we need to do is to suspend our kind of tendency to judge and evaluate and sort people. Because that's that's just a natural thing to do. And fact sometimes we have fun doing it you know it's airport people yeah there you go there you go it's just you know it's a natural thing to do but it also is something that reinforces our biases and sometimes makes other people unapproachable and we look at them differently because of that you know one thing one of the things that quotes that he has is an interesting one he says before you see a refugee a muslim a woman a democrat a lesbian a homeless person a prisoner uh, a minority or an addict or any other label you can imagine, we must see the human being first. Mm. And so in doing that, it allows us to, rather than, you know, make these initial kind of evaluation and judgment, we're able to see them as a human being first and then to begin to kind of expand our circle of hospitality before we even know it. We're, we're allowing someone in to our circle that we normally wouldn't be learning from. And so, you know, that's kind of a first step that I think is is really important, just to suspend that tendency to judge and evaluate and sort people. Reshma and Laura, do you have any thoughts you'd want to add on that? I will just refer to the, you know, one of the things that we did in the workshop was we um, took a printout of handprints. Um, and these handprints uh, were found in caves in many parts of U.S. and many other countries, actually. Mm. And the unique thing about these handprints were they were never in single 
you know, handprint. They were always in groups and together. And the idea, based on the manuscript that have been found in, in some of those that have been translated, is everyone's trying to bring people together and stay together so that they can be safe. And that is something that we can learn from history, that they survived, they left their handprints in these caves. We could learn something from them in that singular factor. They had their own histories, their own stories. And I think, you know, after some time, we can leave these stories for the future generation to come and read that and learn from that. End of the day, it's one life to live and leave whatever we can do to the human being that's sitting right across us. Might be someone as a stranger, but that's a connection that we need to make. Mm. That's beautiful. I don't know that I have a lot to say, but I just keep thinking of if we can just suspend judgment, like kind of what Nick was saying, and um, just really see the person for who they are and look beyond those labels that we want to put on. I think our world would be a really different place. And yeah, ideally, I wish everybody could do that. And I'm not sure how we're going to get there. But I think it's we always talk about it's that grassroots. It's that one step at a time. It's that one person extending their hand to another in friendship or whatever that looks like. Yeah. How do we help people break those barriers? And I think the only way is somehow bringing each other, you know, bringing people who are from those polar places and hopefully bringing them together in friendship so that they can see each other for who they've been created to be and that we are all human and that we're all striving for those same things that we want to just live. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? I'll give you a very simple example. When I was growing up in India, I grew up in Calcutta, very warm climate and, you know, Indian hike was like, I would say, 5'2 on average. And whenever we saw people who looked different than us, so we have a lot of tourists coming in to visit our place. And we call them foreigners. So anyone who looked or who had white skin and blue eyes, we call them foreigners. So, and, you know, they were tall. And so all the children in the streets would go around them saying, oh, these people, you know, they are foreigners. And <laughs> But then later on, you know, as I grew up, I realized that, they were, you know, they're just human beings like mm-hmm. us. But the fact that was we were young and, you know, we couldn't connect to that level, we, we looked at them as foreigners. Coming here, I realized that, you know, they were just like human beings trying to explore a new land and visit a new place. So, yes, we, <laughs> each one of us could be different in terms of looking and how we speak. But I think, and sometimes both the sides are fearful of approaching mm-hmm. each other. Fearful in the sense, like, I don't know what she's going to think about if I say hi to my new neighbor who looks different than me. So I think it's the first step to cross over and and get over there. I kind of wish every person in the United States who's like me, white, <laughs> um, not every person in the United States is white. Just every a, white person. Every United white States. person <laughs> could spend time in a foreign country where they are the minority. Because I think those years for us in Indonesia were super formative for me. I mean, I did not grow up in a in a town that was diverse at all. And then being that person who's walking down the street and the little kid is going, Bule, Bule, mm-hmm. Londo, yeah. which means white person. To Africa, Mazunga. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, I'm standing out here. But yet also experiencing hospitality that is amazing. Please come in, have tea, 
drink with us, you know, have tea and treats or whatever. I mean, in Indonesia, hospitality was great. When we're welcomed into an Afghan home, a Syrian home, an Iraqi home, a Somali home, a Sudanese, I mean, it's the same thing where you're just welcomed and the hospitality has come. Come enjoy a part of who we are as a family. And I just wish every person could experience that because I think it would help make that switch in the brain to see, oh, man, we have so much more in common than we have different. I agree with what you said, Regiment. can feel uncomfortable from both sides because I've had moments like I was invited to an Eid celebration. And when I got there, I was like, am I wearing the right thing? Mm, Am I doing mm -hmm. the right thing? Someone had me come cut in line and then I felt (laughs) really guilty for everyone. I was like, am I standing out? I felt like I was standing out and I was like, okay, notice this feeling. You don't have to feel this very often. That's a luxury. So feel it and, and realize what it's like to feel like you stand out and you yeah. don't belong. Like Not that anyone made me feel. They made me feel very welcome, but it wasn't my natural. And and so it's like I have these times where, oh, yeah, I want to interact and meet people. And luckily through my job, I get that. But I'm like, if I didn't have this job, I don't really know what my avenues would be to have that shared mm-hmm. meal or like what are some of the gathering spaces? I don't think our community is great at creating diverse gathering spaces. Do you guys have any ideas for people that want to have more of that in their lives? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that we've been doing with the Islamic Center is trying to create opportunities for that connection and doing dinners like, you know, was mentioned by Laura, the peace feasts and that sort of a thing. But also I think one of the the great ways to really begin to understand each other and not to oversimplify kind of the other and and to understand more the complexity of their lives and the nuances of their lives is to actually serve the community together. Like Reshma was talking about, you know, this idea of being able to see a need within the community, such as, you know, people not being able to afford groceries for, you know, a religious event or whatever, to come together and to be able to, you know, gather heads and to come up with ideas as to how you can serve. And in that process of serving, you know, it's one thing to have conversations, but in the process of serving, I think that there's uh, something kind of special that happens with regard to your own understanding of the other Mm -hmm. and their situation, that it's far more nuanced and complex than you maybe understood it. You know, and and I think it helps kind of guard against that danger of the single story as Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie talks about, you know, from Nigeria, she talks about that idea of the danger of the single story where if you see a person or a, a people as only one thing and then you will you will begin to essentially, you know, see that that's, what, that's who they become in your mind and that's the only thing they become. And so it, to really guard against that, you begin to, you know, get involved with them in ways that you get to know them and understand them in deeper ways and and understand some of the things they're going through, the hardships, the, and then you begin to realize they're experiencing much of what you experience. And so it really brings connection. In can, that I, sense. can I put a plug in for local community partners? Please. Um, just that's a lot of what the work that we do. And so we do require a training so that you understand some of the cross-cultural and the trauma and that people who've come as refugees, what they've gone through. But we love connecting people with families who are new to the community. And it's doing what Nick was just describing. It's hopefully breaking down some of those barriers and you're you're creating an opportunity to 
to bring social capital to that family because maybe they don't they need a mechanic. Well, they're new to the the town and they don't know where to take their car that needs an oil change or something as simple as that. But you know because you live here and you've been through that. So yeah, the local friendship partners are one of those ways that we can do that. Working in the garden, we have a and I know Global Gardens too. They're always looking for volunteers, and that's one of the ways you're you're serving alongside. We have a community garden that's up on Cole and Eustick, or I'm sorry, Maple Grove and Eustick as well as I know Global Gardens is many different places, but a lot of times you get to, you know, maybe you're weeding alongside a Nepali gardener or somebody from Bhutan. Or, and so those are some ways of serving together and breaking down some of those barriers. And so, yeah, I think a lot of that is who we've tried to be as an organization is just giving those opportunities to create relationships and friendships that way. That's such a good idea. And then you're coming into it with something to do. You're both kind of on, you know, equal playing field, just here mm-hmm. for this project. Mm-hmm. And I always think about first date. I'm like, I would never go to dinner for a first date. I would like, let's go hiking. Let's do something because <laughs> I'm too awkward. So that's a really good idea. Like if you have a project. Yeah, something yeah. to do together. Or, I mean, even the friendship things, it's like, let's go to the park and play. You know, it doesn't have to be intense mm-hmm. because there's often a language barrier. But you can find things to do together that both... You know, Boise is so fun to explore. But if I was new to here, you know, and a new country, you know, from a different country, it's like I wouldn't know where to go in Boise. But, hey, maybe this friend can help me Mm -hmm. go explore Mm -hmm. the foothills, the river, all those fun things. Yeah. And that suggestion, too, applies to any community you might be in. If you're listening, like, you know, you can find an organization or a group that does projects together. Mm -hmm. And that's such a Mm -hmm. good idea. I, yeah, okay, I, was, I was just going to add that, you know, I think it's important as you begin to do that, it can feel uncomfortable, it can yeah. feel scary. And so I think it's important to give yourself enough room to not feel afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes in a cross-cultural situation, especially if you haven't had many cross-cultural situations, that first step can be very difficult. And so I think it's important to to remember that we all kind of feel that way and we're all trying to understand something we don't understand. And so just to take that first step can be, you know, really scary. But it, it, it if you give yourself room to fail, to say, okay, there, I will make some cultural fupas or whatever, it's just in so, something that can help give the space by which you can, okay, I can take this first step if I don't do it all right, it's okay. I, mm-hmm. I can, you know, as long as I'm committed to try to make something work. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's, that's an important part of it. Yeah, I feel yeah. that really hard. I have a lot of that fear. Like, I'm going to say something stupid. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be ignorant, ask the wrong question, or like oblivious. And yeah, just make you want to like stay in your own comfortable bubble and not. Exactly. Yeah. One, one thing yeah. I was going to, sorry, no, you want to go? go, ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I was just going to say, find somebody that maybe already has made that step and go with them. Or if you're somebody that's already made that step, bring something, someone along so that maybe it's not so scary if you're with someone who's a little more experienced. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, Rushma. I think the, the, uh, there's another language that we all know. It doesn't need an interpretation. Mm. It's a language of love. I thought you were going to say food. <laughs> <laughs> food food is a love. love. <laughs> Same thing. It's a language of love that, that if you have that, you can overcome all those barriers. Mm-hmm. That is important. I mean, if you, just speaking of myself, we moved to Idaho 
planning to stay here just for two years and then move out. Remember, we moved from New Jersey. It's a totally different place than Idaho. And we have managed to survive for the last 13 plus years. Wow. I think to end in a more positive note, I would say there's something unique in the state of Idaho and as a boys and we, we are doing a lot of good work mm-hmm. among a lot of community partners who do a lot of background work, who are not there on the spotlight. Mm-hmm. So they are doing all those works. And I think every one of those efforts count. So yes, Idaho might be you know, one of those <laughs> so-called whitest places, but it's also a welcoming city. Mm-hmm. And it, this would not have been possible. You know, we have had close to, I don't know, 16,000 plus refugees coming from over 52, 54 countries. That is an example. I don't know how many states have that. Mm. So on a positive note, for sure, mm-hmm. we are overcoming those barriers, but mm-hmm. definitely there's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that we have the Anne Frank Memorial, mm. the human rights on display. I heard that's one of only two places in the world where it's on permanent display, the Declaration of Human Rights. We have Neighbors United here, which I didn't know about before I started this job. Like 50 organizations in the Treasure Valley from schools to transportation to housing organizations. Yeah, are putting our heads together, like you said, and making this a better place to live. And it does get discouraging, to the polarization, and even at family gatherings sometimes you're like, Oh, I didn't realize my relative felt that way. And then you've, it gets discouraging to see. But in the end, it's like there's so much good going on that just maybe doesn't get the spotlight as much. And It does. Happens. And I think change is something, I mean, even at this age, I'm scared of doing new things. Mm-hmm. A couple of months back, there was an invite from the mayor of Meridian. It's a community meeting that happens there. And this gentleman had been after me, asking me, reminding me that, hey, there's a meeting but I was so scared to go. Can you believe it? I'm like, I don't know anyone out there. Mm. And so one fine Thursday, I managed to, you know, have the strength. And I'm like, I, I'm trying to make it. And I was almost close to taking the exit, even while I was driving. Mm. I was that scared. Anyway, I made it and I met some wonderful people there. And one of my, I would say now she's my friend. Her name is Karen Mante. And she asked me, Reshma, what can we do to help you? What can we do as a community together? And I said, we have been trying to set up a pantry for the ICB community, not just for us, but for the overall community there. And she gathered all the right people mm. together. And we've been working, having meetings, showing them the space that we have at ICB, what is possible. But the fact that, you know, you have a need and you just mentioned it, Mm-hmm. And people jump in to help you. That, is, so that awesome. is amazing. So yesterday I went for a small tour at the Bishop Pantry that they have. And I emailed them yesterday and I said, I'm so filled with gratitude mm-hmm. for inviting me and innovate the community that we have to your, you know, and showing us how to organize a pantry, how to make things work. That is a miracle. Where would you find that? That is awesome. So That's beautiful. Yeah. That reminds me of, we've been talking on this podcast about the Afghan pilots mm. trying to get help them get recertified. I had no idea it would be more like more than $30,000 a person just to get FAA certified, even after they've trained and flown for years. And one of the pilots was sharing his story at a Rotary, I think it was Rotary Club meeting. And someone in the audience is a, a retired Marine aviator. And he connected with us and he has been our one of our strongest partners donating money time, expertise, and really 
kind of the reason this was able to get off the ground. And these three of our pilots are really close now to being able to get jobs as airline pilots. So. Yeah, and and that's a miracle, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a miracle so that God brings us together in doing this yeah. work. That's great. I will add one more thing that helped me. I grew up very sheltered and had opinions about things I look back on now with kind of a broken heart. And one thing that helped me break out of that is podcasts. Ah. I heard different voices that I hadn't been exposed to before. It wasn't just a simple story. It wasn't a one-sided story. It was this whole complex human, and I saw myself in them. And from the LGBT community to the immigrant community to any other cultural or different background than me, I got to hear all these voices, and it really did change my heart. And sometimes I get discouraged in this era of polarization because I'm like, is it possible to change hearts anymore? Mm. Or is everyone just kind of like digging in their heels? They can hear whatever lovely thing they want to hear and it won't make a difference but for me it did make a difference i heard someone's story and my heart changed so thank you for being part of this podcast i hope that it can do that for others too and thank you so much for your time today And there's anything else that you'd want to add just i would say lots of gratitude Mm -hmm. and thankful for local many communities and to the people that makes this city together yeah yeah Yeah. ditto thank you holly too for this opportunity I, I, I would just add that, you know, the idea of, you know, seeing heroes out there that are actually doing something that you can emulate, you can take inspiration from, you know, the, there's a lot of positive deviance out there where you can really see that they know how to connect people. And, and you know, I think really being able to take inspiration as well as to just be, you know, see how they do it, emulate what they're doing can be a kind of a positive step forward as well. So thanks so much for inviting us. Thank you. And if anyone's listening and you want to kind of break into more diverse groups or like interact with more diverse groups and you're not sure where to start, please email me. I'm at mosaics at idahorefugees.org and would love to explore some opportunities with you. So thanks everyone. Thank you for joining the conversation. For more information on how to be involved with refugee resettlement, please visit idahorefugees.org. Mosaics is produced by the Idaho Office for Refugees with grant support from the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust. Music by the Afrosonics. Production and partnership with SB Studios.